This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. It's time for bookings. Kia ora. welcome to Bookings with Maren Rout and Ruth Todd. And uh, I just read David Hill. Uh, I haven't read one for a while. I just um, admire the ability he does, has to write young adult fiction that's really for adults as well. I know. He's, he's a gem. Stories. He's, he's, mm. he's multi-talented and he captures the audience that he's going for so well. And so, this one goes back to the 1940s in the Pacific Islands when the Japanese and America were fighting it out. Well, I hope to read it as well. And I'm talking to Rachel King, Literary Director of Word Christchurch, and finally a programme has come out for the um, show weekend, just prior to show weekend um, festival that... Without a show. Yes. (laughs) Very pared down, but good on them. They had to cope with so many unknowns, and um, I'm sure there's going to be something there for everyone, and I'm sure people are going to support it. Rachel King is Programme Co-Director at Word Christchurch Festival and finally, 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 uh, and I think there's a few more finalies in there, there is a programme for uh, the festival and we're going to have it by hook or by crook, aren't we? We certainly are. We're, we're, we're planning, we've planned for a level two festival, but we also have plans in place if we're in level three or four. So no matter what happens, the show will go on. How difficult has this been for you? Um, It has been really difficult. Um, I do want to first though acknowledge that um, the only reason that we can go ahead in level two is because of all the work that people in the North Island are doing to keep COVID um, out of the South Island. So we really appreciate all the the hard slog that those people have been doing. Um, the challenges for us have been obviously the just the relentless march of COVID when we when we first. Um, realised we had to cancel the festival. We rescheduled it for November, thinking that well, in three months' time, you know, it'll be under control and and we can we can go ahead as as planned um, at level one. Um, and then that you know, queue from there, it was rolling every week. You know, the the advice was changed about about how many people we could have in level two, from fifty to a hundred to. Um, to uncapped as long as there was social distancing. So I think we're on the sixth iteration of the program, mm-hmm. um, you know, because one of them was obviously the Aucklanders wouldn't be able to attend. Um, but this, we've just sort of skipped a step, really, um, and gone ahead and, and just, just said, OK, we, we, we think it's safest to plan for no writers to be flown in from um, from the North Island, or from out of town, really, Um uh, and we have made a couple of exceptions to that um, for for various reasons. But on the whole, yes, our, our out-of-town writers will be appearing via video link. Well, sadly, or unfortunately, we've become pretty, pretty attuned to that. Um, but yeah. there will be, you know, there's a good 
um, there's a good number of, of events I can see on the program where you will be, uh, you know, up close. Well, not up close, but you will be in the <laughs> presence of yes. of a real a, a live, a real breathing. live writer. Yes, yeah. yeah. But I also don't want to. Um, you know, downplay the uh, the digital presence as well because people will still have the chance to ask questions of the person. Um, we in places like the Faraway Mere, we've actually that's been custom built to create um, an, a unique experience with somebody on the screen where people um, will actually have the writer beamed to the end of their table. Um, and I think I think what this has given us is, is an opportunity just to really. Um, think think how a festival could work, and and of course, the other thing it's not like sitting at home watching them on the, on on your computer because you're out with your friends as well. Um, you're in, in your bubble, obviously, but it, it's still an opportunity for for people to spend time together and get excited by ideas and discuss them with each other, um, which you again you wouldn't do if you were just sitting watching a video at home. No. So, um, the, the yeah, you, we, amazing um, array of people because most of this is one part of the program that you could pretty much keep intact, isn't it? The far away near. The far away near, yes. And in fact, um, although we did um, lose a couple, um, we have um, we've gained um, two fantastic new international writers. One of them is um, Helen Garner, who's a legendary. Australian writer of fiction and non-fiction uh, and the other one is um, Ruth Ozeki who wrote, uh, her first book was My Year of Mates, um, she was shortlisted for the booker for a tale for the time being and she's got a new book, um, The Book of Form and Emptiness so um, people will be able to to buy tickets to those events um, and those are very carefully um, socially distanced um, events but you'll still be able to be served food and drink um, and it'll be quite an experience. Yeah, no, I think it's going to be really good for the writers on the other end because I think you're going to give them a, a, a you know, a short, brief sort of uh, a view of of the venue so that they can get a sense of that they're just not talking to a to another face. That behind well, that right. face is a whole lot of people. Well, and also, so so, Moran, you'll be interviewing Helen I Garner, know, for us, which is great. Very intimidating, um, but <laughs> so, for instance, you'll be sitting at a table, and you'll also have some other people at your table as well, because we're it's it's like having a dinner party with Helen Garner as your most interesting guest. So she'll she'll get to experience some of that as well, and then people at the tables will also be able to ask her questions face to face. We'll be carrying, you know, trailing a camera around so that she can see them, and they can see her. I think it's going to be um, a remarkable thing, and and as you say, it's it's a real opportunity, isn't it, to think um, uh, for future events because we're going to have to learn to live with things not going back to the uh, the old normal. Yes, and we might have to patent the faraway near and sell it at great cost to all the festivals around I the world. I think we should. It's <laughs> <laughs> a very clever idea. Well done, all of you. So um, do you want to run through um, other things? I, I don't want to get in the way of you. You can just go for it and tell us what, yeah, sure. what we should look for. So one of the um, good pieces of news that came about this week, um, you know, every day there's something new, um, is that we are able to move the events um, that were going to be in the James Hay 
uh, and some of our sold-out events from the piano. We've moved them to the Douglas Lilburn Auditorium in the Christchurch Town Hall. So with a 2,000-seat, you know, ordinary 2,000 capacity, we can easily fit our 500 um, people who bought tickets to Helen Clark, for instance, um, in that space and have them, um, you know, very very widely distanced and um, keep everybody safe. Um, we've also moved Patricia Grace into there, so there will be more tickets available for that one. And Adventurous Women, um, which is our, you know, star um, event that that sold out within two weeks with um, Hinemoa Elder and Emily Wrights um, and Anjam Rahman, uh, Kyle Mewburn and Julie Zarifa. Um, that is now in the Douglas Lilburn, so we can release more tickets to that because people were very disappointed about missing out on that one. Um, and then, of course, the other big one is Abbas Mazari's After the Tampa book. Um, he'll be appearing alongside Helen Clark, who was the Prime Minister uh, 20 years ago when the Tampa came. Um, and his book came out during lockdown, so and it got a lot of publicity, so I know that there'll be a lot more interest in that. So we're really happy to be able to release some more tickets to that one as well. Um, now, Helen Clark will be appearing via video link, um, but again, people will still be able to ask her questions. So um, it'll still, you know, it'll still be a unique experience. You've moved, um, and I, I think this is a genius move, um, the um, the the event that's usually held in New Regent Street, which is sort of, you know, a wonderfully lively Friday afternoon, Friday night, I think it usually was. Lots of yeah. people appearing in all those uh, quaint and wonderful spaces there. You've moved it over to the Foundation um, Cafe yeah. in Turanga, and how are you going to stage that? Yeah, so we thought this was a bit of a, a genius um, move, actually, because we were lamenting the fact that we couldn't do the New Regent Street pop-up. And the thing with that event is that it's a really good way for local um, the local writing community to get involved. But also it's kind of where all the weird, quirky, strange things are. It's, it's a drop-in thing. We get a lot of our younger audience goes to that. It's very casual and fun. Um, and so we thought we were losing it. And, uh, and then we, we hit upon the idea of, um, having it in foundation, <clears throat> and instead of having all these events happening simultaneously, we'll have them back to back. So, for about uh, four to five hours on the Saturday evening, you'll be able to just drop in to foundation, have a drink, have a seat, and listen to whichever one um, is going on at the time. So we've got we've got writers who've written letters to dead authors. We've got a, a game called Dice Roll Poetry. Um, we've got Love and Lust. <laughs> um, we've got all kinds of you know interesting and really fun stuff, and it's completely free to attend. Um, it will be seated, so the number of the capacity will be determined by the number of seats, and we'll be letting people in and out um, according to that as well. But I, you know, I, I think I think there's definitely an opportunity for anyone who wants to go to to go at some point in the evening, and yeah, it just keeps that. It's like an alternative um, fringe festival to what's going on in the in the big auditorium. Yeah, it'd be great. It will be. It will be a great opportunity to sort of feel a sense of um, community there. Uh, the word gala's still taking place as well. It is, but that is sold out under... Um, uh, this is this is the thing because the caps in the piano are now 100. Most of our events are sold out in, in that venue. <laughs> That's quite a good um, um, position to be in when you start a festival, isn't it? <laughs> well, kind of, except yes, <laughs> except sort of good and bad. Yeah, 
Yeah, uh, there's still a, a couple of tickets left to see Ian Rankin um, beaming in live from Edinburgh, talking with Van der Simon. There's still some a couple left to see Paul Cleave and Jacqueline Bublitz. Um, there's still some left to see Rebecca McPhee talking about um, trade unionist Helen Kelly. Um, and, and there's still a number of tickets available for some of the faraway near events. Um, well, what's um, we can just encourage people to go online because because it's all been so um, all over the place. You're not putting out a, a an actual program, you know, a hard copy. It's no. all online, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah, so they can go to our website, wordchristchurch.co.nz. Uh, on the front page, you'll find um, kind of a, a summary of things. Um, and then just click on the program and you can just scroll through, which won't take you very long because um, we've, we've only had 40 <laughs> events now, um, which might seem like a lot, but we had 90 before. Um, mm. and, but it's going to be lovely. It'll be, it'll be relaxed. It'll be intimate. We've got lots of um, protocols in place for um, keeping people safe. Um, there's a long time in between events, so lots of time to get people in and out and clean things. And um, and you know we're 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 looking forward to to looking after our audience and for them to have a nice experience. Well, thank you, thank you for all your mahi, you and Nick Lowe and Marion Hargraves and the whole team. There's a huge number of, well, not a huge number. It's a small, tight team who put this together, yeah. and I hope mm. that people, I know people, will turn out, and we are all going to have a, a really exhilarating time. So, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Can I can I just add one thing? Yes. Um, we will be live streaming the events from the piano and uh, in the Christchurch Town Hall. So if anybody is not able to come, they will be able to get live stream tickets. Um, and that means that people from out of town, of course, will be able to come. But anyone who doesn't, you know, who's anxious about going out or anything like that will still have access to the event. That's, again, another great move. So yeah. um, I hope you have time to have a little rest before it all kicks off. See you there. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Maren. Bye. Bye. You're listening to Bookends on Plains FM 96.9. It's always a delight to me when I receive a book from David Hill, one of our most prolific writers for young adults and children. And he's written more than 40 books, uh, I believe, over the past three decades, which have been published all around the world, translated into different languages, and won awards in New Zealand, the US, the United Kingdom, France and Germany, and he still lives and writes in New Plymouth. Welcome to the programme, David. Thank you, Ruth. I, what I love about your, your ability to write for an age group and for adults, because I don't see young adults any different from adults, really, um, right. but I, you, you take a situation or something that's happened in our history and you make it into a novel, but you never leave the real facts out. And in Coast Watcher, which I have just finished, it is um, a, a marvellous book because there's a little map about the Pacific Islands where the Coast Watchers were working in the right. uh, 1940s. And then at the back, there's the Morse code and um, an image of uh, the box that was so important to um, Frank. Yes, so right. um, you dedicated it to your father. I did. Um, 
The Coast Watchers in World War II, the young men in nearly every case who hid on the Pacific Islands and watched for enemy movements, they were in this strange ground um, or this strange area of service, halfway between being regular troops and being civilians. And my dad was the same in as much as he served in the Home Guard. Um, he was too old to take part in active service, which was a blessing, of course, eventually, though he never saw it that way. And he was one of those unobtrusive, to some extent not altogether recognised um, men who were willing in World War II to um, go into active combat if necessary, who probably would have been regarded as spies by the enemy. So I was delighted for the chance to um, dedicate something to my dear dad. Delightful. Uh, I'm sure he would be so pleased to know that you'd done that. So we have got three characters. Frank, who's been a telegraph whiz, um, knows everything about the Morse code and much more. And um, he wanted to go into um, the army, but he'd been had TB and he was fine. He thought he was absolutely fine. And he somehow manages to... Um, sort of just through circumstances, become, because of his skills in the um, telegraph department, um, he is right, surviving a support service. He's one of the support service to the um, ASC, the Army Service Corps, and he's um, got a precious wireless setup. He calls it old chatty, yes. and he know his words, all his code words were delightful. <laughs> they obviously somebody had quite a sense of humour making up those code words. Thank you, Ruth, because. <laughs> I was, was the you? one responsible for a number of them, actually. <laughs> I mean, I was aware that um, the code words used um, by the army, because I actually did um, 14 weeks national service a long, long time ago, Ruth, <laughs> and then I spent some time in the territorial army. And we had some experience using radio sets, though not as old as those. And the code words used on our exercises and in our training were often wonderfully inventive, <laughs> frequently humorous, and some sometimes rather improper, but <laughs> I did have a lot of fun um, trying to invent um, appropriate code words. Well, you did well. One. You did really well. Thank you. So Wally is a Māori, a strong farmer um, background and farming background, and he and Frank chum up together and they're sent to, um, to be coast watchers and with a third person... In the, <laughs> who is Les, who's an Aussie, and um, he's in charge, really, well, he thinks he is, because he knows so much about military things. He's a trained soldier. He looks down on them a bit. Um, they wouldn't know much, though he does come to respect Frank, I felt. But yes, um, the, the interrelationships between the three is, is quite fun. And, uh, you know, it's nice having that sort of little snippets from, especially between Les and Wally. Um, I did enjoy doing that, that's right. Yes. I mean, I think relationships between New Zealanders and Australians are always interesting ones. I think there's this sort of underlying respect which often expresses itself in insults, doesn't it? That's insults right. and banter. So yes. I was enjoyed putting that in. And then when they get to work together um, in the northern um, was round Bougainville, wasn't yes, it? Yes, the Solomon Islands. Solomon Islands. Right, yes. And um, they meet up with, I don't, I, my pronunciation might be wrong, is it Ata? 
that's how I imagine the mm. name being pronounced. That's right. That's right. A apostrophe A A T A R T I. Who has very good English? She'd been to school um, in in the islands and yes. been taught very good English. So they're surprised at that. But he is the um, probably the most important one of them all, isn't he? To I me? think so. Yes, 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 because he knows his village and and his. Uh, environment so much better than anyone else. Yes, so but he has to balance, of course, too, yes. the safety of his village um, against, if you like, the cause that he accepts Frank and Wally and Les are sort of um, fighting for. So he's got a lot of tricky decisions to make, the young villager does. It's 1942, and getting to the end of the um, Japanese swept through the islands and probably on their way to Australia, if they might have thought so, and New Zealand. But um, they're really, um, I suppose, cleaning up the rest of people who are left because some Japanese didn't escape, um, didn't get out of it. They they would, you know, fight till the last core of their bodies. Mm. And um, so there's some around and there's um, the occasional flight over with a Japanese plane and um, so they're still in danger and uh, so they're frank particularly is very important to get the messages back to the Americans uh, Mm. particularly so it's a it's an exciting story. I'm delighted if that's the case, actually. I mean, you know, Morris G. has this lovely comment that um, what matters above all in writing for young adults and children is the narrative. Exactly. And, um, I, you know, if I can construct a narrative which does remain reasonably pacey, then I'm always happy to have done so. Well, this is very pacey. Oh, thank and you. it builds up to a... a Really, um, a climax that I hadn't expected, um, and I'm not going to talk about that because it was so uh, moving um, at the end. And um, I just thought the whole thing ended positively and happily for these three. And um, and the, you know, I know I better not walk, talk anymore about that, or I might give it away. <laughs> So, Spoilers are always an issue, aren't they? You want to tell people about the plot, but at the same time, oh, you, you don't want to sort no. of reveal everything. No. So their reactions to um, what their work, everybody had a different one. and um, mm. But I was amazed how they must have lived. I mean, I knew that, about how difficult it would have been there, but... You bring out the heat and the wildlife, and um, they're always sweating. And uh, you know, it's it must have been so difficult carrying the um, the heavy, heavy wireless set around. Yes, yes. and uh, Frank wasn't as strong as he. Thought he was. No, he's been weakened by the TB. Yes, he? that's and right. You know, um, Ruth, when I was um, sort of, I've read some little bits of this book to um, children in the neighbourhood. I've got my own small group of literary advisors in the neighbourhood, Oscar age 10 and Millie age 11 and so on. And I talked to them about this book, read them small bits while I was writing it. And um, most of them had never heard of TB, of tuberculosis. Really? And, and that's rather fascinating. Mm. Yes, Yes, but you're right. Mm. Frank is weakened by the tuberculosis he's endured, Um, and so um, the efforts in the jungle, the climbing, the heat, 
become a real test. I'd actually wanted the jungle to be almost a character in the book. Yes, it is. Um, it definitely I'd, is. I'd be very happy if that emerges as mm. such. Well, it does because you're describing it all the time. I mean, they're, they're living and breathing it, aren't they? They're, yes, that's the, right. Insects, um, sort of heat, um, snakes. Uh, I mean, I'm, if there's a particular word for somebody who has a phobia about snakes, then it does apply to me, I'm bound to say. But the presence of those beautiful, venomous creatures everywhere they go. Um, and I tried to have a couple of strange, though it may sound, vaguely comic moments involving the snakes, Um, but always to be aware of, as I say, their lethal presence. And the other thing that comes out clearly is that the people living in the Solomon Islands, their home, they are there being pulled apart, really, because the Americans uh, and yes. Japanese are fighting this war on their te- their grounds, uh, right. on their land. And, Both uh, sides are yes. sort of predating on them almost, aren't they? Yeah. Um, and they're trying to maintain this very delicate balance of neutrality, um, even though most of them feel inclined towards the Allied side. And they're suffering because their food um, supplies, their fishing, their way of life is being disrupted, either the food's taken from them by occupying forces or else they're unable to fish because of um, enemy planes and such like. So in some ways the um, the Bougainville um, and Solomon Island people have a harder life of it than the um, soldiers fighting over their ground. Indeed, and uh, Les being trained in the military yeah. uh, style, and he did—he didn't have any trust for anyone, did he? He didn't have, really, didn't trust. He certainly didn't trust Wally. Um, he felt yes. an admiration for um, Frank for what he'd done with his health, mm. how he could be there, and he certainly wouldn't have trusted um, uh, Arto. No, uh, certainly. It's funny, actually, Ruth. I—I I had a, a, a very specific physical image in my mind of Wally. Um, I did base him on one guy who, with whom I did military service, the same tall, laconic, um, rather um, sort of dubious type of person who didn't make friends easily, very severe in his attitudes, but whom, whose integrity you did come to realize. And um, I, I wanted Les to try and show a bit of that. He did indeed. Well, Coast Watcher is a, a real page turner, and uh, I learnt so much from it. But I also had a very exciting read, and that's what I always expect from you, David, and what I always get. So, oh, Coast Watcher lovely. by Thank David. Thank you so much, Ruth. That's lovely. Coast Watcher by David Hill is published by Puffin Books. And join us, Moran Rout and Ruth Todd, next Tuesday on Bookends on Plains FM 96.9.